Welcome to Luxury News Weekly, your number one source for luxury news. I'm your host, Simba Wakatama. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Solaru. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Luxury News Weekly. Today, we've got everything from Pokemon to sales of large conglomerates. So what's going on in the world of luxury? Starting with our first story, we have a Pokemon celebration of its 25th anniversary, uh, which is a collaboration between Baccarat and Pokemon to create a 19,000 pound Pikachu, a crystal Pikachu, 100% crystal. So what this is, is we've got Pokeballs, crystal Pokeballs, crystal poke, uh, Pikachus, you know, and they're coming in at uh, $25,000 or 19,000 pounds. And there will be 25 copies of the Pikachu in particular. It weighs about 8 kilograms. They also have a 40-pound Pokeball for those who don't want to, you know, spend a life's fortune on a crystal Pikachu. But uh, this is all a very interesting uh, a collaboration and a very interesting celebration of an anniversary collectible, which we all know Pokemon is known for its collectibles. Elizabeth, what do you think? Of all the collaborations that I expected in 2021, this has got to be one of the most unusual. But actually, I I, I like it. I think for um, Baccarat, it's definitely a step in a different direction. And for Pokemon, they get to introduce to their collectors or to their fans something completely different. So I actually like this collaboration because I'm a huge, huge fan of Baccarat. I can't afford anything that they do. But um, I remember, again, we spoke about Selfridges in our last news I remember many, many, many years ago when I was a youngster, I would literally go to Selfridges because they had the collection of the, the, the finest collection of some of the most amazing crystal in the world. And I would literally just go there to have a look at the crystal. And Baccarat was definitely one of the brands that I admired because they did amazing vases wine glasses in particular, champagne glasses. They did these amazing, amazing, amazing um, chandeliers as well. So for me, they typify everything that is excellent about crystal. You know, I mean, you look at the crystal, no imperfections, heavy, you know, weighted, beautiful craftsmanship. So I'm so happy that they decided to collaborate with Pokemon. And for fans of Pokemon who obviously, maybe they started many, many years ago, and now they've grown up, they might be richer, they might be living that luxury lifestyle. This represents another collectible for them. Exactly. Now, naturally, the more affordable collectibles are already sold out. Whoa. They already sold out of the Pokeballs. They already sold out of the mini Pikachus. And all they have left is the 19,000 uh, pound Pikachu geometric crystal 
things. (laughs) Now, this is not the first time they've collaborated with a more modern brand, if you will. They've also done, uh, and I've seen here, a collaboration with a famous toy company, another famous toy company, um, uh, Bear Brick. So they have a number of these collectibles that uh, you can buy. And I think just there's something about using crystal to represent these um, figures, which takes it to another level, right? It's just, it's beautiful. So yeah, two thumbs up for me. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. And this is the exact type of collaboration that we always champion in this room. Very well thought out. You can see the craftsmanship. You can see that it wasn't something that they slapped together in five minutes. You can see a lot of work, a lot of detail has gone into this. And definitely, I know that Baccarat will not touch anything that they do not think they will do justice. So for me, I am absolutely delighted with this collaboration. Absolutely delighted. We are interrupting this episode to tell you a little bit about the people behind Luxury News Weekly. I'm your host, Simbo Wakatama, the founder and CEO of Volo Bespoke. We personalize jewelry storage for the jewelry you wear. Find me on Instagram or LinkedIn at Simba Wakatama. I'm Elizabeth Solaru, founder and CEO of Luxury Business Emporium and Elizabeth's Cake Emporium. You can find me on LinkedIn as Elizabeth Solaru or on Instagram as Luxury Business Emporium. Now, let's take a second here to talk about Gucci's Spring 2022 collection. All right, so have you gotten a chance to to take a look at this, Elizabeth? Oh, absolutely. Everybody went crazy for this collection for a number of reasons. Number one, the location, uh, which was Los Angeles. And the name of this particular collection is the Gucci Love Parade. And also, there are just so many levels to this. Number one, uh, the spring-summer 2022 collection made its debut on Los Angeles's Hollywood Boulevard. Um, it, I think it was a very fitting place to capture all the opulence that Gucci has been and all that was to come. Now, this is the thing. I love Alessandro Michele, who is the creative director. Not necessarily his designs, but I like him. I like, the, I like what he says, the way he thinks. And as he put it, he says that Hollywood, he describes Hollywood as nine letters dripping with desire. So it was that very aura of aspiration that echoes throughout the collection titled Gucci Love Parade. So... This is what I'm seeing. I am seeing crystal encrusted sunglasses. I am seeing mesh dresses and sequin dresses. I'm seeing lots and lots of grandiose feather boas, lots of color. In particular, when you look at the collection, to me, there's no rhyme or reason, right? So it's one of those, you either love it or hate it. You either embrace the madness or you embrace 
your your sanity, your sane aside. Um, lots of clashing garish, I dare say, colors, lots of attitude from the models. And also um, a quick mention that the audience was like the, the good and the great of Hollywood literally turned out. So you had people like Jared Leto, as I would say, um, really, really good looking, very talented actor and musician. But then again, I'll say it again, very, very good looking. Uh, we had Jodie Turner-Smith, Jeremy Pope, uh, Lizzo, I believe, was there. Billie Eilish was there, Gabrielle Union. So he really had the good and the great of Hollywood um, turn out, I think, for this particular collection. But for me, there was no rhyme or reason. He still did a little bit of the grandma-type dressing, you know, throw on everything, a sweater vest and shirts and, you know, your grandma kind of clothes. But then he also did glamour. So for me, um, the sheer number of looks, I think there were 115 looks, and he presented six variations of the feathery coats and cloaks and satin and sequins. So he literally just threw everything at it. Did it land? I think in a kind of weird way, it really did land. And I think people were absolutely delighted with this collection. So what do you think, Simba? Yeah, you know, I think I get it. And I don't exactly like it. I think that's worse. <laughs> if I, I wish I didn't get it. You know, then I could just say, ah, it looks nice. It doesn't look nice. But I think the problem is I get it. These are all a, a kind of um, a collage of Hollywood tropes, okay, from old Hollywood movies. That's why you see a lot of prom looking in, uh, uh, you know, outfits or, or prom queen looking outfits or cowboy uh, elements there, you know. A lot of these... Um, old Hollywood, like disco, right? Like uh, a bit of Miami Heat in there, right? It's, it's, you know, I even see some Kill Bill in there, some nods to Quentin Tarantino in there. I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Do we need it? Mm, maybe not, no. right? <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, though, the accessories are on point. And this is what... Alessandro Michele is known for. He is first and foremost an accessory designer turned fashion designer. And I will say he is a great fashion designer. But even when his fashion is a miss, his accessories always hit, always hit. And that's what we're seeing here now. Um, I don't like it that much, um, but it is a fun little story. Uh, but you know what? The and of course it's not fair to compare this to the hundred year anniversary, right? But the hundred year anniversary collection was just so high for me, high note. Even though people hated it, I thought it was so fun. Roaring twenties. Of course, we're not gonna wear those clothes. Half the world was in lockdown, right? But this is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> well, like yeah. you said, um, to be fair, I do love the crystal encrusted sunglasses. And I think his reasoning is, you know what, if they don't buy the clothes, at least they can fund my habit by buying the accessories. I think definitely the glasses are going to fly off the shelf for sure. 
I think some of the accessories, I actually saw some handbags that were really, really beautiful. They could literally have been exhibited on their own. Um, there was one particular handbag that was half skin and half something else. I thought that was really, really, really beautiful. So there's quite a number of things for someone. You don't necessarily have to like the clothes or the fashion, but he did do, I think, an amazing job by getting all those stars to model for him and by getting 115 different looks on the catwalk. And that catwalk was mahoosive. It literally, I mean, he closed down, apparently, massive parts of LA were closed down for this. So again, um, for me, I actually like it. First, I don't know why, it's not, my, it's not my thing at all, but I look at it and I can see the creativity. Maybe that's why I like it. So off-kilter maximalist touch, I like that. Whether whether it was it was done in a very orderly way, no. But I do like the off kilterness of it. It's growing on me. Don't get me wrong, but I think the fundamental issue I have with it is it's playing solely on nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, as in, it's bringing looks from the past. But usually, he doesn't bring looks from the past. He he interprets looks. From the past. In this case, it just feels like he's bringing looks from the past as is and putting them, putting different looks from different pasts on one person. So I'm not, I'm not seeing that the and, right, to the conversation. The this is 1960s and, right? That's what's missing for me, right? Yeah. So it's not bad. It's just, you know, yeah, I just don't feel, I feel like the, he could have added a little bit more of his flair yeah. other than the accessories. Yeah. Other than the accessories. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I accept what you're saying completely. But I just think it's, it's one of those, it's so, it's sort of like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks and everything kind of stuck. That's how I feel about it. Like I said, I do like it. I like. I don't know why I like it. I like the maximalist. It's off kilter. It's not supposed to work, but it kind of works. And I don't know how much of that is because it's Alessandro, who I like, or because the looks are actually absolutely amazing. Only time will tell. Or rather, only sales will tell. <laughs> Because it, Gucci's it, selling regardless. It doesn't yeah, matter. Only sales will tell. If you know if the buyers aren't buying, then but if the buyers are buying, then it's then it's a hit. I think the buy. I think the Balenciaga Gucci collab will showed showed me at least that the buyers will buy anything they sell, regardless of taste, quality, or execution. <laughs> We love you, though. <laughs> oh, I love Alessandro. So if you want to like, send us like, merch, we wouldn't say no. <laughs> oh yeah, you know my qualms are with or my qualms are with Balenciaga, not with Gucci. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right now, let's take a let's take a little dive into the world of business. We have some big moves being made in secret. Now, you might not know this, but for those who don't know the Richmond Group, they are the one of a handful, probably top five, let's say, 
heavy, heavy hitters as far as parent companies for these luxury brands. Now, the Richmond Group is uh, looking at some very uh, shaky future plans here. And let me explain, because this will take a little bit of explaining. So there is an investment uh, company called Third Point. They're called an activist investment company, all right? Third Point is acquiring, and these are the rumors, acquiring a larger stake in Richmond Group than they already own. Uh, why is this important? Well, it's not important that they're acquiring more stock. It's important why they're acquiring more stock. And it's looking like they're doing it because they're upset with the performance of Richmond Group and how they've executed over the pandemic because they've been really losing to their competitors at an alarming rate. And if you haven't noticed, during the pandemic, companies like LVMH were just cleaning up shop. They were buying every company around them to make themselves strong because they could just buy them at cents on the dollar. And like we saw, online uh, sales had skyrocketed. And so Richmond's online com uh, online um, uh, conglomerates were kind of losing out. So one said company is Net A Porta. Net A Porta has not been doing well compared to its uh, competitors like Farfetch. And I think, and here's where my insight comes in. Third point wants to get in there, you know, strong arm them into doing uh, what they want and actually revive or sell off some of their dying assets and really strengthen the core of what's working for the brand rather than hang on to zombie companies. Uh, what do you think, Elizabeth? This is one of the most interesting pieces of news uh, when it comes to luxury business or the business of luxury, because this is giving us an insight as to the kind of activist investing that is now being practiced by some investment companies. So they buy large amounts of a company's shares or stock. And the goal is to gain influence and pressure the leadership team to making maybe a specific set of changes to the company. This is where it gets interesting because the chairman of Richmond is Johan Rupert, and he has a long-term strategy which he has set, and he chooses managers for the 26 maisons that belong to the group. This is the interesting thing that I found out about him. He only owns 9.1% of the capital, but he controls 50% of the voting rights under a dual class share structure. So obviously, as you rightly said, his critics have said that he hasn't kept pace with his competitors during the decade-long boom. So even before the pandemic, they were not keeping abreast with their competitors. And also, the market capitalization has risen 79% in the last five years, but those of LVMH and Hermes have actually quadrupled. So they also said that the group Richmond has been unable to stem a lot of the losses that it has suffered. So hmm, this is going to be interesting, Sam. So it sounds to me 
that there's going to be a bit of a war in the boardroom. The good news is that as soon as it was announced that this activist um, investment firm had bought shares, the shares of Richmond went up by 5%. So, hmm, very, very interesting times ahead, like you rightly said. Yes, but you have to ask, it's good, but good for who? Hmm. It's not good for Richmond. It's good for third point because it shows their influence over the financials in the company and they are known for using very aggressive tactics they got for instance uh nestle to sell a bunch of their assets back in 2017 uh against their you know against their will basically um so they come in there they say look we're here to help but only if you do what we say uh here's some money to just shut up and do it um and you know if it doesn't work out that's fine just sell stuff just sell stuff till we get our money back right now no offense to third point but hey this is just the way i see it these this is almost a hostile takeover almost they're not owning the company but they're trying to own the influence so yeah we will see because this has a lot of implications and we're starting to see a couple of these implications take take form uh, we won't talk about much of them today, but for instance, like we had mentioned, Net A Porter has been the real underperformer in this holding group compared to, say, Farfetch, right? But there's rumors of Farfetch doing a, a Richmond collab, if not um, sale. So what what does that mean for Net A Porter when they just give up on you in house and move on to the, <laughs> move on to the competitor, <laughs> or there might be a merger. How about because I look at it a different way actually? Maybe they're buying Farfetch to take over Netaporta. Maybe they're they're buying to join forces. But this is the issue, though. I would then look at the legal side of things. You know the the the, the anti you know the antitrust competition rules. Are both companies too big to merge, for example? I'm not saying there's going to be a merger, but I'm just kind of thinking if you're buying Farfetch or are you buying Farfetch to see what's working for them and then apply it to Nette Porter? So those are the questions that I've got in my head immediately that is raising alarm bells. Also, there's a common saying, follow the money. So if somebody invests in your company now, what are the implications for them with their investment trying to dictate the strategy, trying to dictate the direction of the company because they want to make their money within a certain period of time and they want to make it quick. So interesting times ahead for Richmond is all I have to say. You know what I say? Forget the antitrust. Have you seen what LVMH is doing? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> but also, also... Nete Porter is already a joint company. It's Ukes Nete Porter. They already merged the two companies. Yes. So, yeah, they tried that already. So what is it going to be? Ukes Nete Farfetch Porter? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get um, a Gen Z to come up with a name. You know how they join names together? You've got yes, Kinye. Yes. So we need, we need someone to actually make up a really good name. And maybe we make T-shirts or something like that. I'm team. Fetch a Ukes. Fetch a Ukes. Exactly. Fetch a, <laughs> exactly. Fetch, a, <laughs> fetch 
Fetcher Ukes, and then I'm Team Fetcher Ukes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hashtag Fetcher Ukes. You want to see that trending? I oh, know, man. right? <laughs> so obviously, we will keep up with this um, because this is <laughs> this is shaky waters. And they're shaking, and I'm sure LVMH is just laughing right now because LVMH knows exactly what they're doing right now. The the family is united. They, you know, they they have really good support. And this is exactly what they need to then take over even more companies. And I wouldn't be surprised if they sell off some of their assets to LVMH and LVMH just turns it around because they're just really good at doing that. Oh, absolutely. Because that's one thing we do admire about LVMH. They buy with a long-term view, they buy with a ready strategy and plan in place. And it's like, boom, hit the ground running, um, yep. invest, move CEOs around, you know, from one brand into another, see how it works. And yes, that family um, feeling is definitely there for LVMH. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, let's take a break from this, uh, you know, very uh, stressful news. <laughs> and uh, let's go on to uh, more relaxing uh, a little piece of news here. I'm picturing I'm on the ocean on my very big yacht that Steven Spielberg just sold to me. That's right. Steven Spielberg just sold his prized 282-foot super yacht called the Seven Seas. And it was last listed for $160 million. This is a beautiful yacht. Um, I like it. It's got a very a lot of wood tones, very calm. You know, some could say outdated, but I, I think it's quite calm. And and um, it's kind of what you need. It reminds me of a of a wood cabin on the sea. Let's, if I would, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, from what I can see, um, gosh, it looks absolutely incredible. I mean, it, it's got like a library area, a dining area. It's got a pool. It, I mean, the, the, the sleeping, um, the bedrooms, the, you know, bathroom looks beautiful. It even has a gym. So you can be, you can work out while you're overlooking the ocean. So I'm looks, getting heavy Shangri-La vibes. From yeah, this. it looks beautiful. It looks absolutely beautiful. But like somebody said, for many yacht owners, not all of them, but for some of them, the happiest times that they've had is the first time they buy the yacht and the last time they sell it, you know. So when you buy it and when you sell it tend to be your happier times. Many yacht yeah. <laughs> owners actually may decide to rent it out. So when it's not in use, many of them would actually rent it as charter. So people can actually charter if they want. And one thing about yacht living, I promise you, being on a yacht is better than being in any five-star hotel. One, not just because you're on the ocean, yachts are so well maintained i've been on a yacht a couple of times sadly not you know not as a guest or not to holiday or anything just to work but the yacht living is beautiful and some yachts actually will have they have like a secondary ship or yacht so the secondary yacht looks after the the, the super yacht so on that other yacht will be the supplies would be even more staff, 
well, you know, we might even have a landing pad for a helicopter. And they normally use um, decommissioned Navy ships as the second boat that looks after the big boat. It's a different world. It's a completely, completely different world. Um, you might have a crew of 30, 20, 30, 40 people just looking after one family. So you are pampered to the max. But anyone who has the money and they want to enjoy their life, just go for it. Beautiful, beautiful. Absolutely. Now, this yacht in particular, the reason why it's a super yacht, well, I did mention the uh, <laughs> the 282 feet, but it can accommodate 20 guests and 28 crew. Whoa. Okay, it has supersized screens in every room, including a full movie theater. It also has, like you said, gym, sauna, steam room, uh, a beach club. Uh, oh, my goodness. A helipad yeah. and a bunch of lounges and bars, fully stocked garage, packed with a tender, speedboat, water toys and diving gear. It is absolutely outrageous, and I just knew it had a it had to have a good movie <laughs> movie theater because obviously Steven Spielberg needs a movie theater in his in his mega yacht. So whoever owns this now, um, you know, I'd love to come just inspect just to make sure that this news <laughs> was accurate. Yeah, that's all, you know. Of course, I mean, we need to make absolutely sure that what we've reported. Like, for example, the beds, are they comfortable enough? Are the for saunas comfortable enough? Day, yeah. <laughs> are the drinks, yeah, are the, you know, are the fridges well stocked with food? <laughs> but, you know, but, these I, things. but on, on a serious note, though, e even those little um, tenders, you know, the tenders, they're, they're little boats. I call them the James Bond speed boats. Even the tenders actually cost a lot of money. I remember oh, being... Yeah. I remember being taken out on one and they told me, um, they actually call it Fancy. The nickname of that tender was Fancy and it cost $3 million. It cost $3 million just to drive, you know, just to be on a James Bond type speedboat. I was like, okay. <laughs> and that's just the boat that gets you to the boat. Exactly. Because you obviously know? the size of the super yacht means that it can't sort of like dock near the near the beach. It's got to be some way away into the ocean. So that's why they take you to the yacht. Listen, this we're gonna have a luxury news weekly yacht party at some point. <laughs> yes, um, and all our loyal listeners will be invited. Uh, yeah, and then we can share these stories on the yacht. <laughs> Absolutely. You never know. You know, we, we put it out there. And I know we joke around, but we might be reporting Luxury News Weekly from a yacht at some point. So who knows? Sooner than you think. Amen. <laughs> right. And now our last piece of news is all about... The world of urology. We have a 1957 Speedmaster. This is an Omega Speedmaster, which sold for $3.4 million, becoming the most expensive Omega in history. So, this is a Speedmaster reference 2915-1, and it's sold at the Philips Geneva Watch Convention. 
All right. That's the uh, 14 uh, Geneva Watch Convention, along with a bunch of other watches. Of course, the one that stole the prize was by Philippe uh, Defoe, which we know and love. I like Omega, though. I really do. I think um, I think they're underrated and people kind of overrate Rolex. But in my eyes, Omega and Rolex are about the same. Um, but so, yeah, what do you think of this? Yeah, I, to be fair, when it comes to underrating, I honestly was one of those because I did not even realize how historically significant the Omega is. Um, and this particular model in particular is viewed as the holy grail for many collectors. So, again, reading up about it um, and looking at the watch itself, it's actually a beautiful watch, really beautifully done. I love the balance. I like the color. And um, I know that in China, there are so many collectors of the Omega because it was the preferred watch of Chairman Mao. And it's reported that this particular watch actually exceeded all expectations. So I can imagine if you've got two really, really, really invested bidders, they can really, really drive the price up. So yeah, I would say fantastic news for Omega. And as we've seen in the last year or so, um, particularly around, and, around the pandemic and just after the pan pandemic, it looks like watches are booming as an investment class. Absolutely. They're one of the best performing investment classes. And this one in particular has been worn quite a bit, uh, but it's still aged very nicely. So they had a tropical dial on it, which has now taken on a kind of milk chocolate color. Um, very, very lightish, darkish brown with the, um, with the patina. And uh, it often, it's been used for six decades. So this is wow. why. And it's uh, luminous elements, which are usually the hour uh, markers. Uh, they have also turned into a kind of a golden tone. And it's it, there's a little bit of flaking going on there to, to show the silver underneath. But for the most part, it's still all well put together. It just reminds me of something, you know, this is like a warm watch. It reminds me of my grandfather or something, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a legacy watch. This is, it's something, if you, again, um, if you were sort of like, and people do this a lot, if you were sort of like new money, trying to age your money, <laughs> as people sometimes do, I don't know why, to me money is money, this is a kind of purchase that, you know, you would wear and you could, you know, sort of like flex around old money to say, yeah, you know, I've got something old as well. You know, I, I have a bit of legacy too. So this is the kind, but you know, the watch itself is absolutely beautiful. I love it. I actually like it. I am not a massive um, watch fan, but this I particularly love. And it just shows you that good design will age exquisitely. Oh, yes. Timeless. Just timeless. Right. Well, that has been all our stories for Luxury News Weekly this week. Catch us every Monday on your favorite audio platform. And don't forget to follow us. Our social is in 
the show notes. With that, we bid you a good day.